All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your spirit that is present here, God. We thank you right now in the name of Jesus, God. We thank you for um, any distractions, any distracting spirits, God, that just are gone in the name of Jesus, God, that we can hear what you have to say, God, that we can understand what you have for us, that we understand what you are saying to us, God, that it will go into our hearts, God. It will make revelation in our hearts, God, and we will uh, relate that to our head, God, that we will understand it and we can follow it. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I was, think, I was thinking about the last couple of weeks, and we could have probably just named these because um, they're kind of blunt and rough, and um, it's like a just a random stick poking you. I think we could have called these last couple of Sundays Savage Sundays because they're just not really, there's not a lot of sugar coating on them. I'm just saying, we're not, well... No, I'm just saying, sometimes we put a little sugar in there just so you'll, you'll, you'll smile at first and then go, oh, wait a minute, what did he just say? Um, anyway, all right. So um, I actually gave this one a title, so it's called Stewarding the Family. Um, yeah, I know, look at that, right? right? I'd never title anything, I don't. So if you see a title that's on the podcast, if I'm speaking, I have no idea what they named it, they just name it. I just let them go for it, I don't, I'm not good at naming things, so except my kids. Um, so um, I want to talk to you today about stewarding the family, but there's three, there are three characteristics and three um, areas I want to talk to you about, and that's the priest, the shepherd, and the, and the, the warrior. Um, so 1 Peter um, 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim his excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into that marvelous light. I love that. Out of darkness into that marvelous light. So if we look at a priest in the Old Testament, we look at um, one of the the most well-known priests was Eli and Samuel. Um, Eli was a priest, but Samuel was a priest and a judge. So that's a, that's a double duty. But can you imagine, you know, you're like, oh, I don't like what the judge said to me. I'm going to go to the, pr- the high priest and be like, hey, and then Samuel shows up and he's both. And you're like, crap, I'm out of luck now. I can't, I can't argue with him on this one. Um, but a priest was a mediator between Israel and God. He was the person that stood between God and Israel. He offered up the sacrifices. He, he made intercession for them. You know, it was that, that yearly sacrifice that the priest laid on the altar for the sins of Israel and said, forgive us. And God spoke to the priest for Israel, to Israel, through him, and he would say, this is what God is saying. This is how we're supposed to go. This is how we're supposed to um, walk with him as he leads us. But as parents, as, and I think especially as fathers, and I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm leaning more towards dads today. I'm not trying to, if, if it comes across that I'm leaning more towards dads as a spiritual authority than moms, I'm not putting it this way. I'm just leaning towards dads as your job as fathers, what you should be doing. So I believe this, our job is as parents, but also as fathers is to intercede for our children, go to God on their behalf and pray for our kids. That is the first thing that we are called to do as parents. We are so supposed to intercede for our kids. How many of you ever interceded for your kids because you're like, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know where they're at. I don't know how they're going to act. And you intercede for them because you know they need it. But our job is not only that. Our job is to teach them biblical principles, the values and the way they're supposed to go. 
So we all know that scripture, Proverbs 2, 26. It says, train up the child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. I was talking to someone one time and they said, you know, that scripture says, train up a child in the way that they will go and they will never, they will always come back. I said, wait a minute, what? I'm like, that's not what that verse says. I'm like, do you modify that for your specific situation that your kids acted like idiots and then they came back and you're like, that's what scripture says right there. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, But I want to talk to you about the way they should go. So if we look at uh, Samuel, he was a a priest, um, excuse me, Eli was a priest. He raised Samuel to be a priest and a judge, but Eli was a great priest, but a really bad father. If we look at it at the um, first and second Samuel, we look and we see Eli doing what he is supposed to do, but allowing his sons who he brought into the priesthood to do whatever he wanted to. They were eating the meat that was supposed to be sacrificed, having intercourse with random people, telling them probably God wanted you to do that because this is how it was. His sons were out of control. They were disgusting. But Eli was serving God, and, but God changed the heart of Israel. See, Eli was like, okay, I'm your priest. I'm going to teach you what you need to do, but he wasn't living it out with his sons. And all of Israel saw his sons, and they actually said to him, they said, um, can we have a king because your sons are not carrying on the tradition that you did? That's got to be a smack in the face. But Eli knew it, but he just kept making excuses for him. Well, you know, he's, he's got a learning disability or he's just, he's a little excited about things or, you know, just making that constant excuse for his sons. Oh, well, you know, they have good intentions. You know, it, it's always that, well, I'm, you know, they're who they are and I can't control them. No, you're the high priest. You had, <laughs> the high priest had pretty much most of the say in what happened in Israel at that time. They were, they were the, the judge slash priest before a king was set into place. So we look at Eli, and he's like, well, you know, my kids, are, they're just, you know. No, not an excuse. And the people of Israel actually saw how bad it was, and they said, we want a king because your kids are stupid. <laughs> if you re- I, I'm challenging you, read 1 Samuel, and read about everything that Eli and his sons were doing. It's absolutely insane. I'm not, I don't have all day to even go into it. But Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. The problem was is Eli spent too much time doing the work of what he was supposed to do instead of the actual job that he was supposed to do, and that was raise his sons up. The high priest's job was his second duty. His first duty was his son's. And the problem is, is we, we tend to, as parents, put the work first and the children second. The work is what helps us uh, uh, be able to take care of our kids, but our, our first priority is our kids. Our first priority is our children to raise them in godly principles. And so for us, we are, you know, as, as mothers and fathers, we are basically the priests of the home. We are, and I'm not saying that we're higher than whatever, but I'm saying is we are the ones that are the spiritual heads of the home, and we are to teach our children. Yes. That is your report card. When you get to heaven, how your kids behaved or didn't behave or whatever they did, that is your report card. Actually, after your kids leave the house and then when you get to heaven. So there's two report cards. So we really need to 
focus on that. We have a lot of young families in here and I'm, I'm challenging you guys, make this a priority. We have a, a limited amount of time with our kids. They say days go by slow, but years go by quick. You blink, you're like, oh, this kid is driving me crazy. And then you blink and they're 20. You blink and then they're graduated. And you're like, well, where'd all the time go? It's because we got bogged down with the t days and lost our focus on the days. And we lo then we lost the years. So we have an everyday ability to teach our kids, guide them, correct them in the path that our kids should go. We look at scripture and we can see what is the proper way. You cannot look at scripture and not go, well, I don't know what, it, wh what I should do as a parent. I don't know where, what I should do. There is places in scripture we can look at and say, okay, this is what was wrong and this is what's right. You look at the, the prodigal son. We see both sons. Both sons were kind of wrong. If we really look at it, one son was conceited and this is mine. I worked hard for it. The other one was like, it's all mine. I'm just going to go blow it on booze and hookers. And he just did that. But both of them were wrong. The father, though, was still loving is a representation of Christ and brought the, brought the son who went away back in, but also kept the same son who was conceited and thought he was owed everything because he was a faithful son, still kept him at the same table even though the son didn't like it. But we look at that and there's a, there's a proper way to go for our kids. And we should steward that as a spiritual head of our household. As spiritual leaders in our household, we need to steward that. So we have, like I was talking about, we have days and then we have years. And the days go by really slow and then the years go by quick. And you blink and they're gone. And I think what happens is, is we have a certain amount of time to point them in a certain direction before those years go by. And then the years are like, oh, wait, why we forgot to make it a priority to, to instill in our kids the biblical values. And, and what I want to say this, if you have kids that are not serving the Lord and they're an adult, that's their choice but it's also our job to repent for what we may have done or not done and say, God, I, I was wrong in that. I need repentance from that. But also, if you didn't know, you didn't know. There's, sometimes there's ignorance. So, we're so ignorant to what God is doing because we weren't saved or we didn't have the ability to recognize what was going on. It's, that's where we repent and we try to make up for it. Yes. That's where you go back to interceding for your children. You intercede for your kids, it never stops. But we have a certain amount of time before we, they are gone or they don't want to listen. You know, if you got a four-year-old, you're like, mom, they're like, mom, I know everything. I know how to do this and I know how to do that. And you're like, yeah, you, you're like, go get a job then. Um, <laughs> but we have a certain point as spiritual leaders in our house. We have certain point of time as parents to instill in our children the values of the kingdom. But as priests, we are also shepherds. And there's, there's, a, um, there's a term that it says pastoring your kids. But the word pastor is a very new term. If you look at the original um, text of the, of the Bible, it actually talks about shepherding. 
Shepherding is a completely different term than pastoring. We, we just like to throw that word pastor in it because it's a very easy term, but shepherd is a completely, di- is a completely um, different term than pastor. Pastor's like, oh, well, I, I pastor church. I know a lot of people who are pastors of church, and they have nothing to do with people. They may preach on a Sunday, but that is, uh, preaching on a Sunday is not leading spiritually. Leading spiritually is completely different than, than coming up here and speaking. You, you can speak on a Sunday and have no spiritual direction for the people in your church. Shepherding, on the other hand, gives spiritual direction to the body. Shepherding gives spiritual direction to your family. And we need more parents that are shepherds instead of, well, you're going to Sunday school, right? Oh, okay, you'll learn enough. That's the problem is we have too many people, too many Christians that like, oh, my kid goes to Sunday school. They learn about God there. I don't need to talk about it. We just do whatever we want to do. It's not how that works. Our job is to teach them those things. Sunday is a reinforcement of what you've been teaching them all week. Sunday is not for you to come and belly up to the trough and eat what you want and then go out the rest of the week and be like, I hope this sustains me for the rest of the week. It's not for your kids to get taught once a week and then wonder why, oh, well, they're in public school. Why are they so this way? Sorry, I got a text message. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, go for it. There, there was one thing I, I added when we were in worship, and I, I, it didn't sink over on my thing, but I, I wrote this down, and this, was, um, this is directly to you dads. It says, men, men, you need to teach your children how to worship. It's not the mother's job to teach the children how to praise and worship. Men, I'm, so, I'm sorry, there's a responsibility that falls on us. We are the head of the household. We need to teach our children how to praise and worship. If you do not take up that role, someone else will teach your kids to worship someone or something else. If you do not teach your children how to worship God and they do not see it modeled from the Father, the mom can teach them, but when they see it modeled from the Father, there's a huge difference. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, the statistics of fatherless homes and fatherless kids. If you want your kids to be raised right, if you want your kids to follow God, men, teach them how to worship God. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to worship. And the problem is, is what we do is this, is we bring our kids to church on a Sunday and then we get back in the car and we kick on whatever other radio station we, we like, but w- they only see worship on a Sunday. Right. Your kids need to see worship every day of the week. Yeah. Our kids saw that. And I'm, I'm not bragging, but our kids are the way they are because they saw us both worship because they saw it at a young age. They were in their, I remember, I think it was Lana, she'd be in her walker just like this because she saw mom and dad in the house raising our hands, praising thanking God for what, we were do- what he was doing. Even when we were going through struggles, she saw us praising God. And that's why our kids learned how to worship at a young age. So men, you need to show your kids how to worship. If you don't know how to worship, learn. Learn how to worship God. Yeah, you can start with all the, the pizza box, the, the I give up, the you know, whatever. Um, 
the problem is, is what we do is we, we expect our kids to learn how to worship and praise God, but then the moment they, you kick on the radio when they're in the car, they're not hearing what worships God and what praises God. I'm sorry. If, if you, I don't even listen to the radio anymore. I don't care what radio type of music you like. It's a bunch of crap. None, if you like country music, it's just pop with violins. They're just dirty and disgusting. If you like pop, they're dirty and disgusting. If you like ma- rock and roll, it's dirty and disgusting. I'm sorry. It is the way it is. Don't expect your kids to be listening to that on the radio all day long when you're driving and then wonder why they don't want, understand how to worship God. If the first thing they hear is secular music, and I'm not, I'm not bashing it, I'm not saying it's you can't ever listen to it. What I'm saying is, what is being put into your kid's mind? Yeah. If that's the first thing they're hearing, one of the only things they're hearing, how are they going to learn how to worship God? They're learning how to worship self. They're learning how to worship sex, money, whatever it is. Um, so we have a chance. We have a, a, a brief moment in time. You are, are 60 to 80 years is, is a lifespan. And we have 16 years, 17 years to, to raise our kids and to, to input that in them. But after about the age of 12 is when we start to, to have less and less influence on them. They start to mature. They start to be more self-sufficient. So from the ages of before birth, to 12, you have a very quick time that they need to understand who, who God is and how to live with God. So, Jesus said in John 10, 11 through 14, I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he is hired, excuse me, he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. We have too many people who are hired hands as parents that are are willing when when they, when it's inconvenient for them, well, go to grandma's house. When it's inconvenient for them, oh, I want to go out at night. I want to go drinking. I want to go do this. Go to this person's house. Go to this person's house. We have too many hired hands that are in the position of a shepherd, but they don't want to do their job. And what does it say? When the wolf comes, they flee. They leave. Oh, no, 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 not mine. I'm only, I'm only paid. I only work this many hours and the wolf's coming after this hour and I can't do anything. I'm gone. That's the problem is we have too many parents that are like that. We have too many people that have the role of a parent, but they can't give up the life of a single person because they want to have fun and they want to do this. And what happens is they leave their kids to the wolves. He flees because he has a hired hand and carries nothing for the sheep. I'm not saying you don't care about your kids, but I'm saying what I'm saying is what happens is, oh, it's kind of inconvenient. I don't really want to do this. Oh, I got to get them up for church? Oh. Yes, exactly. 
but the good shepherd lays his life down. A parent who shepherds the kid well will lay their life down so that their kid will be better than them, have a better and closer relationship with God. I want my grandkids to have a better relationship than my kids do. I don't want it. What happens is it, it tends to be this way. Strong parents raise good kids. Their kids serve God. And then the, by, the, by the third or fourth generation, the kids don't even serve God. They don't even go to church anymore. They don't even know what God is. They're into like, you know, sage and I'm going to have a dream catcher. And they're like, but God loves me. You know, it's like, get over yourself. We have too many. What happens is we need a momentum of growing spiritual faith in the family instead of a, a, a um, a waning spiritual faith. What happens is this, oh, we went to church, our kids went to church with us, but they don't really go to church. They go to church on, you know, they go to church Easter and Christmas and, you know, if they're having a hard time, you know, those kind of people, oh, oh, we're just struggling. We went back to church and we went for a couple weeks and felt good and then we left because, you know, everything was good. Well, this morning we both got up and we're like, I don't want to go to church. We're tired. We're just like, <laughs> we're like, we got to go this morning? I'm like, yep, we got to go. I'm like, some things revolve around us around in this place. So, but we're like, oh, we're just exhausted. You know, we're like, stuff going on, working and, you know, stuff not burning down and replacing things and, you know, yeah. And just, you know, life sometimes will burn you out. But what at that point is where you dig your heels in and you say, you know, no, we're going to go. I don't think this one's missed four weeks of church ever. <laughs> like maybe four times total her entire life. We're like dragging her by her hair. You're coming. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we're just, I'm just kidding. We, but we made it something that the lifestyle of home was the same as the lifestyle of when we came to church. That there was really no. Yeah. She, she, what did you say, Lana? You said, I can't imagine not making space for that. Yeah. So what happens, though, is this. Is I want my grandkids to be stronger in the faith than me, my wife, my, my kids. And so it, it lasts generations. It doesn't wane after two or three generations. Then by the th fourth generation, the kids are like, I thought grandma and gra great-grandma and grandpa went to church one time, but I don't know if they did or not. But a good shepherd guides and leads his flock. Men, you are to guide and lead your flock. That means you are to lead your wife, you are to lead your kids. And that means in spiritual things, physical things. There doesn't, and Sarah talked about last week about submitting to one another. There are times where she has more wisdom in this. She's really good with relationships. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, she's like, but we need to do this. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, I'm so I, I submit to her wisdom on that. And there's times where we should submit to, our, to one another in those things. But men, we are to lead our homes. We are to lead spiritually, to show our kids how to worship, how to pray. You know, there... No. Yeah. Yes. There's times where you have to say, no, this is not good for you physically or spiritually. There's, there's been many times where I've told Sarah, I said, that kid's not allowed back in our house. I'm like, I don't like that kid. And then Lana's like, can I come in? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But no. Um, but there's been friends that have come over. I'm like, that friend's not allowed to come back over. Don't like that friend. Not a good friend. I told Sarah, you don't have friends anymore when I met her. 
I said, your friends suck. They're not good for you. They're horrible to you. They're, they're a bunch of losers. And I said, you don't need those friends anymore. And she said, oh, okay. And she, we got rid of those friends. We got, when we were first married, we said, oh, we got friends. We got rid of them all. Said, these friends are not helping us grow. They're not helping us become better Christians, better parents. Yes, you. Yes. Yes. I had to go to that one stupid wedding, too, and I missed the concert for that. And we're no longer friends with them, haven't been in 20 years. So I'm like, ah, I missed that concert. That would have been memorable. The one chance I had to see him, and it just, it was Norma Jean. Yeah. I had to stand out on a cold beach getting, anyway. I have a little bitterness about that. I may need to, <laughs> anyway, um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, and then we got married. What did I do? We, we had people that we were friends with. They said, nope, we can't be friends with these people. They were bad influences. They were not bringing us to a point where we would have been married. <laughs> we would have been divorced because they were just not good influences. We got rid of all them. We found older people. We found people in their late 40s and 50s and said, they have a great marriage. They have great kids. Look at their kids. Their kids serve the Lord. And we said, we want to be friends with you. We want to know how you do it so we can raise kids like your kids and serve God like you serve God. If you have someone that is doing worse than you and they're living a lifestyle of, well, I don't really, my kids are kind of annoying. I don't really like them. I send them to grandma's when I want to go out drinking. That is not going to help you learn how to be a better parent. If you have friends that every Friday and Saturday night, their kids are at grandparents' house because they want to go out drinking, do not expect them to sharpen you as a parent in biblical wisdom. Just saying. But he says the sheep know his voice. Jesus said the sheep know his voice. Our kids should know our voice. They should know our voice. That means a voice of wisdom. That means a voice of spiritual wisdom. That means a voice of, of, of correction. They should know that. And correction isn't, you know, taking your kid out to the woodshed and go pick your own switch and I'll go beat you for 10 minutes with it. Correction can sometimes be just a word to them. I remember one time when Lana was real little and I said something to her and she just burst into tears. And I was like, I didn't even say anything to her, but she knew what she had done. It wasn't that bad, but I said, you don't do that. And she just exploded into tears. And I was like, I felt bad after that, but the Holy Spirit would al had already convicted her. And I was just like, we don't do that. And she's like, ah! I'm like, oh, I felt really bad. I was like, oh my gosh, I just destroyed my children. But God had already been working on her and, and she just, it broke her at that moment. But that's what, but that's good correction. Bad correction is, hold on, let me get the belt off. Which side do you want, the soft side of the leather or the hard side of the leather? And we're going to, you know, you're packing on three pair of underwear, hoping that, you know, God, that the, the belt doesn't crack down too hard. That's not correct. That's not, not great, good correction. There needs to be correction. Sometimes your kid mouths off. Sometimes they need a smack in the mouth. I'm sorry, just saying. If they're, my kid's mouth off to the mom, pop, you get a mouth, pop in the mouth. You don't talk to your mother that way. But... Correction is leading them to repentance. Correction isn't just a punishment and then, oh, well, you got, you got whooped for it. Don't do it again. No, correction is telling them what they did wrong, correcting them for that, and leading them to repentance with the person that they did it with and with God. Our kids should know our voice. Sometimes our voice is tough. I talked about uh, 
a couple weeks ago about the one time James was running towards the road and I just screamed at him really loud and just said, sit down, and he just plopped on the ground. Because you know what? I knew if he got to the road, our, you, if you've anybody been to our house, you know our road is not a slow road. It is people coming off the corner, doing about 70 miles an hour. I see you smiling over there, Kevin. <laughs> and I was like, if that kid makes it to the road, there's a one in 10 chance that there's going to be a car there. And I'm like, get down now. Because I wanted him safe. Not like, oh, hey, stop, stop, please stop. No, I wanted him to be safe. And I screamed at him. <laughs> and he just went, plop. And I'm like, okay, good. He's safe now. Our kids should know our voice. Sometimes it's authoritative. And we say, stop, because it is dangerous. Sometimes it's like we, you know, a couple years ago, well, a lot, a lot of years ago, Sarah had a dream that Lael got hit by a car. And literally a couple uh, weeks later, the quad, one, one of the neighbors with the quad almost hit her, her and she just ripped her right off the ground because and, and Lael almost got run over by the quad. She just grabbed her by the hand and picked her up out of the way. But she had that dream and she was aware of it. Yes. So sometimes our kids will hear an authoritative voice but the authoritative voice is the shepherd saying, get back into the fold. Get back into the flock because it is dangerous out there by yourself. And then the next is the warrior. Dads, I want to ask you a question. If somebody shows up on your front step and says, hey, I want to come in. I'm going to steal your kids. I'm going to pillage your home and I'm going to take everything you own. What are you going to do? Well, come on in. Would you like some coffee? No, you're not. You're not going to do that. You're going you're gonna to go or pull back and they're going to understand and they're going to have, you know, you're going to dispense freedom on them. Um, that was my next question. Dang it, Sarah. No, I'm just kidding. But the problem, she's just, the problem is, is, I know I'm too slow apparently, but the problem is, is we do that spiritually. Like I said, someone or something else is going to influence your kids. And if you don't fight for them, if you don't stand up for them, something or someone else is going to come. And it's going to be some scumbag boy that shows up on your front door and you're just like, nope, you ain't coming in this house. For me, it was going to be a scumbag boy. If it was a scumbag girl, I'd still say, nope, get out of them. But um, no, I, it's going to be some boy showing up and he'd be like, can I come see your daughter? And you know, no, nope. <laughs> You walked here, you walked here, you ain't got no job, and you, you're, missing, you're missing a lot of brain cells and a lot of everything else. Get on out. <laughs> yes. It can be anything that will draw your children away. The problem is, is we have a culture in, our, in the younger generation right now, of like 30 and under. They're like calling 30-year-olds adolescents now. I'm like, you're 30, grow up. Put on a pair of big boy pants, get out of your mom's basement, quit playing Call of Duty, and get a job. Then play Call of Duty after you come home from work. Come on. Jeez. You can still play Call of Duty. You just got to do it after you do a real job. Yes. Yes, after you've taken care of your family, then you can play Call of Duty. Racked up 115 kills a couple days ago. It was great. After I made her dinner. <laughs> yes, I made her dinner. Made you dinner twice this week. Yeah, I worked. You did work. Uh, so. 
Yeah, anyway. So, but something is going to show up on your front door for your children. What is it going to be? It's going to be a spiritual thing. It's going to be a false religion. It's going to be a person. It's going to be money. It's going to be sports. It's going to be anything that will draw, your way, the, draw them away. The enemy has plans for them. And if our plans aren't being put into fruition, then you have a problem. Your kids will be drawn away. If you are not being a warrior for your kids, if you're not being that person that stands up and says, no, my kids aren't going there. My kids aren't going to um, have those friends. My kids are not going to go to blah, blah, blah. You know, we told our kids, you know, we, both of our kids were in public school. And people are like, well, you can't put your kid in public school. Yes, you can put your kid in public school. But what influences them greater than public school has to be you has to be the word of God, has to be spiritual things, has to be kingdom things. And if you don't, you're going to wonder, well, I put them in public school, but we brought, went to church every Sunday. Yeah, you went to church every Sunday, and they spent five days a week with a bunch of heathens and a bunch of teachers who don't love God, don't serve God. I'm not saying all teachers are that way, but that don't love God, don't follow God, and you wonder why they're getting indoctrinated with ideas that are counter to the kingdom. People are like, we're Christians, but you don't teach your kid biblical principles, and then you send them to a school where for eight hours a day, five days a week, they're being taught principles that are anti-God, anti-kingdom. And then you wonder why they got taken away by the world and the things that happened that way. Because we didn't spend the time to fight for them. I mean, like, I wasn't a about not punching a 12-year-old boy if he was, you know, showing up at my front door trying to, you know, take away my daughter. I'm like, you're 12. I'll punch you anyway. I don't care. You stay away from my kid. <laughs> I'm just saying, is there are things that will draw your, I didn't punch you, did I? He was 16. He was 16. Still a little weird. I was still a little worried about you. I'm like this old kid showing up at my door. Um, still a little worried about him, but he proved, I didn't have to punch him and he's turned out pretty good. I like him. Um, <laughs> But there was a bunch of 12-year-old boys. I was like, I'm going to punch you if you come in my house. I don't like you. You're not coming back. And, but we have to stand up. And that has to mean, you know what, I'm going to stand up to sports and say, you know, doing four sports a, a season is not go going to be beneficial to our kids. I'm sorry, no, one out of a million of your kids might be the next sports star. The problem is, is everybody's living through their own kids. Well, my kid's going to be the next this. <laughs> Your kid can't even make it off the steps without <laughs> tripping and falling. Your kid is not going to be a track star. I'm like, <laughs> your kid gets hit in the face every time the ball hits him. He can't even pick up the bat right. You're not going to be the next baseball star. The problem is, is these, as parents, we're like, oh, you're going to be good at this, and you're going to be good at this, and they take them to this and this and this, and they're like, oh, well, you know, they did pretty good at this last game. Yeah, because they sat on the bench. The problem is, is we, 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 as parents, we didn't have what we wanted. My dad said this to me one time, and, and, and I love my dad, and he said, he goes, I didn't have a lot of things when I was growing up because of the way I grew up. He goes, so I wanted you guys to have them. So he built us all kinds of forts and swings and stuff like that. But the problem is, is as parents, we want to live through our kids. If our kids win, we win. That's true on, on every level. But what happens is our, as parents, we put them into the wrong things, for the wrong seasons when they should be at home with parents learning biblical things. I'm not saying we can't do sports. We told our kids you can do one sport, one in the fall, one in the spring. 
And then by the time they were like eighth or ninth grade, they're like, yeah, we're done. They didn't care because it didn't ma- bring value to them. Sports help, can help them, but it will not bring value to them. Value only comes from the parents and God. Value cannot be, oh, I want a game. I have value. No, you do not have value because you want a game. You have value because God loves you and he's created you and your parents love you. So why do we keep pushing our kids into these activities that will actually not bring them value, but value comes from what is internally put into them from the father and from the parents? And we wonder why kids are taken away. Oh, I don't have time. I got to go to this camp on this day. And then Sunday we have this sport and then we have to do this sport. Well, I can't really make it. Our kids have sports on Sunday. We told our kids, you are not doing sports on Saturday and you're not doing sports on Sunday. And they didn't even care. They're like, okay. Both of them quit volleyball because they was like, no, I don't want to keep doing Saturdays. They enjoyed having that time away and not having to be with everybody. And they're like, there's just too many catty people. It was all drama. I went to school with this guy, and he was, he was good at basketball, but every game for four years, his dad would stand up in the, in the stands and just scream. Ah! Every time there was a call that he didn't like, just Christian school, by the way, kind of. Um, and he was screaming, just hollering at the refs, hollering at uh, you know, everything. Oh, and then he'd be yelling at his kid after he got done with the games. Oh, you didn't do this right. You got to change this. You got to change this. Instead of coming up to his son and saying, good job. There were games that my girls went to. They didn't do anything. And I came up to him, gave him a hug. He said, you did a good job. But you know what? It's because they, the value didn't come from what they did on the floor. It came from what I was telling them and what God was telling them. So parents got to quit living through your kids. You want your kids to be popular. Being popular sucks. They're held to an ungodly standard to live ungodly. And if they don't live up to that, then they're a loser. I'd rather be a loser and live with God. So we wonder why our kids are taken away because this, we put them in everything. We, and then we're like, well, we go to church and we, we say prayers at night. Doesn't help. That is, that, that is a starting point. The starting point is taking them to church and praying with them. The hard part is to teach them about God and who he is every day of the week. To be an example, and that's hard sometimes because our own emotions get involved, our own wills get involved, and sometimes we just have to be like, yep, I suck at this. I suck at parenting right now. I suck at being a spiritual leader. And we have to say, nope, change some things, readdress some things, and then start over and say, okay, how do I lead my kids in the proper way? We have too many adults that want to be kids and are raising kids. And what happens when kids raise kids, we have generations of kids that don't want to have anything to do with God. We need to teach our kids how to worship, how to pray, how to follow God, and how to to walk with Him. And if we don't, don't expect your grandkids to have anything to do with God. I'm just letting you know right now. If you do not think, if you think that you can just lackadaisically raise your kid at church, bring him to church once, once a week and talk about prayer when you pray with them at night, don't expect them to have, raise kids that follow God. Don't expect them to want to follow God when they get out of the house. Because, oh, well, I, had, I was dragged to church every Sunday. I didn't really like it. It was boring, blah, 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 blah. No, Sunday should be a time for them to enjoy spending time with kids that are in the like-minded Why do you think we have all these little ones running around serving? 
because we teach them how to serve from a young age. We teach them how to stack chairs because teaching them to stack a chair teaches them to submit to somebody and to be an active part of the body. When you create active parts of the body, they become grafted into the body. When you teach them how to serve at a young age, they will want to serve when they get older. I mean, we got one-year-olds and two-year-olds pushing chairs across the, the room so they can help stack a chair. They can barely lift the chair to get it up there, but they want to serve because they know there's a value in helping with that. That's what creates value. Living for the world does not. So, last scripture. I know I'm running late, sorry. First Samuel, verse 20 says, Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a, of a shepherd. So David was a shepherd. If we read David... Um, first Samuel, we talk, it, you can read about David and who he was. I'm not going to read it, all of it, but it says this. And then verse 34 says, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him, struck him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard, struck him, and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lion and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For they have defiled, excuse me, defied the armies of God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And David said, go and the Lord be with you. This is David. He's a shepherd, but he's a warrior also. We look at David and he's the prime example of a shepherd and a warrior. He would take care of the flock, but he would kill what he needed to kill. Not saying you got... Guys, if a boy shows up on your door and likes your daughter, do not kill him. Please do not do that. I'm saying is he was willing to sacrifice his life to save that sheep. He says, I delivered it from the mouth of the lion and the bear. He wasn't like, oh, I, I went and said, stop it. You stop it. You, you leave it alone now. You ever seen that parent in the store? And they're, I was at, we were at Mackinac Island. We took Layla and Levi up there for their birthday. And we we're on Mackinac Island. I'm sitting there, and they're doing, getting ready for the cannon firing. And I'm just sitting there. I'm you know, drinking some water. And this lady walks up with her son. And she's, you know, walks up to the cannon thing. She's like, blah, blah, blah. Come on. Let's go see. I want to stay down here. Come on, buddy. Let's go up here. He's like, no, I'm going to stay down here. I mean, kid's probably 10, maybe something like that. Kid's got pink hair. He's got, you know, he's got probably $800 worth of clothes on. And she's like, you need to come up here right now. I, I was like, I almost said, get your butt up next to your mother and do that. And the problem was is he never came up. He was sitting there drinking his own Starbucks, meandering around the, the fort up there. And his mom's up there and she's like, come here, come here. I'm like, boy needs a whooping and you do too. But what was happening is if we do that, stop, leave my kids alone. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes that authoritative voice needs to come out of the warrior and say, no, you will not step foot in my house. This spiritual thing will not come into my house. We will not live like this. We will not act like this. And we will not allow people in our lives. And I'm not just saying your house. I'm talking about your lives. There needs to be an inner circle of protection for your family. And sometimes there are people that are not healthy for your family. And you need to say, nope, you're not coming in. You're not into this circle because you are not healthy. You do not bring um, life to us. You're bringing death to us. And they may not even know it. And they may be Christians and they may love God, but they don't realize how chaotic their lives are. You ever 
hung out with somebody and you come back and you're fighting on the way back and you're arguing like, why are we like, it's not, Sarah and I were talking about this one time and we were, um, we were doing something. Oh, she was on the phone one day and she was talking to somebody and she got off the phone and she was instantly like, didn't feel good, felt like she was a, a depression on her. And I said, who did you talk to? Think about it. You're talking on the phone and she spent 15 minutes on the phone with somebody and, and she got off the phone and she's just like, I'm just, I, I need, I'm tired. I don't feel, I, I'm like, who did you talk to and what do we need to protect from? Where do we need to stand firm and say, this is the line that we do not cross? Sometimes, yes, there is spiritual warfare. If you guys haven't seen it, you'll see it eventually. <laughs> Some of you will uh, get your socks knocked off and be a little weird, uh, weird out, uh, but yeah. So, but sometimes we have to draw that line in the sand and say, no, we're not going to cross this. We're not going to do this as a family because we don't agree with this. We may love, here's the thing is, God tells us to love everybody. But there's t things that you can say, no, we're not going to bring this into our family. We're not going to bring this spiritual stronghold. We're not going to bring the spirit of this. Or we're not going to bring this kind of lifestyle into our family. We're not going to allow this into our family. But David was a warrior. He shepherded his sheep and he said, you know what? No, you're not going to take my sheep. I'm going to go fight for them. He goes, you know what? And I ripped them apart by the hair and I delivered the sheep from its mouth. Sometimes we have to be rough and we have to be tough. Not with our family, but with what is coming, trying to come against our family, trying to come into our family and what our family may be going into that we don't realize until say, we say, no, we put our foot down. And we say, nope, this is wrong we need to do this and we don't need to do this so if we if we follow what, what proverbs says in, in solomon who is the biggest screw up in the world i'm just saying <laughs> solomon kind of a man whore um kind of really really a giant man <laughs> yeah he had like 700 chicks um and yeah yeah he, he had he had a lot of side pieces. Um, really, really immoral man, but he asked God for wisdom. But if you read Proverbs, he gave us a lot of wisdom. He got a little off track, about 700 off track. Um, but he said, if you raise up a child in the way that they go, they will not depart from it. Our job is to not just bring our kids to church anymore. Our, our job is to be spiritual priests of the house moms and dads, and raise our children up and teach them biblical values. Oh, it says the older women should teach the younger women, and the younger women should teach the children, and the young men and the men, older men should teach the younger men. That's called discipleship. Discipleship starts in the home. It doesn't start in the church, and then it goes to the home. It starts in the home and, be, and then is brought into the church. I can't disciple your kids. I can't disciple every one of you. It is not our job to disciple your kids. It is our job to partner with you to disciple your kids and to raise your kids right. We cannot disciple all your kids. And, oh, bring them to church on Sunday. Oh, yeah, your kids are all discipled. Send them out for the week. No. Discipleship happens every day, and it happens with everybody being involved in it. So, Dad, step up. Sometimes you have to be that warrior, but partner with your wife's and say, we're going to raise our kids the way God wants us to raise our kids. We're going to raise our kids the way that God teaches us to raise our kids. Even though we've made mistakes, we're going to raise them the way we should. Let's pray.